Well, let's, let's open our word, the Bible, and we will we'll get some more truth out of here, okay? Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to understand the truth. Open up the word to our eyes and help us to see. I pray that you would be the one that speaks through me. I pray that this message would be anointed of your spirit and not just prepared in the mind to reach the mind, but prepared in the spirit, spoken in the spirit, to touch the spirit. I pray that you would do that for your own name's sake and for your glory. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, you know that we have been studying the book of Genesis, and we've hit the first two verses, and they were rich and good, and we will now look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. So just flip open the first couple pages to Genesis chapter 1. This message today is entitled, God's First Creation. Day 1. Day 1. If God was journaling it, it'd be creation journal, day one. Created light today. <laughs> Genesis is a book of firsts. We have seen and will continue to see many first things. The first metal worker, the first musician, the first worldwide judgment of God. There is significance to the order in which God chooses to do something or reveal something to us. What he does or says first is significant, and what he says last is also significant. So we're going to look today at the first day of creation and the first thing God chose to create, which was light itself. Let's read together chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Well, that's just three verses, short and sweet. But oh, the truth that is contained here is profound and rich. Let's look at these truths. First of all, I want to talk about the physical truth that we're revealed, that is revealed to us about light. I want to point out something that's very important as we continue to study the days of creation, and that is that these days were literal 24-hour periods. They were not, as some have said, they have tried to incorporate millions of years into the creation of the world, so they try to combine what is considered to be accepted consensus science called evolution, which really doesn't have any true scientific evidence. It's merely a worldview by which we interpret the evidence. But people have tried to combine evolution and creation together and say, well, God, God used evolution in his creation of the world and in, when you see in Genesis 1 that it talks about days, it's actually talking about not a literal 24-hour day, but a period of time, the day of. You know, the day of Moses would have been not one day, it would have been in Jesus' day. That's how they think we ought to interpret this. 
And they do that because they think that they have to incorporate evolutionary science into scriptural teaching, and they don't, because evolutionary science is, well, it doesn't belong in a science textbook, it belongs in a toilet bowl. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm holding back a little. Now, this is a literal 24-hour period, and here's why. First of all, we see in verse 5, it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So from the very plain reading of the text, usually, folks, the, the simplest reading of it is usually the most accurate. Just simply reading it, evening and morning were the first day. That says a 24-hour period. It's not poetic language meant to represent a million years. It's telling us that there was, the sun came, well, not, the sun wasn't there yet, but it, there was an evening and there was a morning the first day. That says a 24-hour period. Then there's the debate over the word day. It's the Hebrew word yom. And that word is sometimes used in context for a long age. It's not always a literal 24-hour day. But if you flip over to Exodus chapter 20, and I'm sure I've referenced this before, but it bears repeating because it is foundational for our understanding of the rest of this book. Exodus is not a, or Genesis is not a poetic book of pictorial languages. It is a literal book. It's a history book. It's telling you actually what happened. But for further understanding, it's best to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 11, it says this, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Six days. That Hebrew word, day, is the literal 24-hour period. That Hebrew word is not used for anything else, the one used here in Exodus, except for describing a literal 24-hour period. So between the basic reading of Genesis 1, the simplest reading, and interpreting it and seeing other descriptions of the creation account saying it's a 24-hour period, we know for certain it was not millions of years long. This day was 24 hours long. It was a literal day. And you say, preacher, how can you have 24 hours without the sun yet? Well, how can you have the light without the sun yet? I'm telling you, it was a literal day. That's just the miracle of it. If you try to incorporate millions of years into this first account of the six days, seven days of creation, because God really created rest essentially on the seventh day, um, if you try to incorporate millions of years, you will undermine key doctrines of Scripture, including sin and death. I'll reference to you Romans 5, verses 12 and 14. We won't turn there, but Romans 5, 12 and 14 explain to us how Sin entered the world by one man, and death by sin. Sin brings death. And if Adam was the first one to sin, there was no death before him. But in order to have millions of years, before you get to humans, you have to have 
apes evolving into humans, and then you have to have fish evolving into apes, and that requires, requires, evolutionists will tell you, requires millions and millions of years of death, violence, destruction, and mutation, and changes and adaptations to death. Death is required for evolution to work. And if you have death before Adam, you undermine the truth of Scripture, even in Romans. God is a liar now because he said death came by sin and sin came by Adam. So if that's not true, then God lied to you. How can you trust him at all? You see how this goes? You cannot mix evolutionary science, evolutionary teaching, and Scripture because the two are opposed right. to each other. Well, let's go on. What are the characteristics of light? In the physical universe, what are some characteristics of light? This passage, first of all, refers not just to visible light, but the entire electromagnetic spectrum. X-rays, gamma rays, colors, infrared light. If you've ever seen this, you remember this from science class maybe, you've got your, your, your span here. It goes from here to here, and it's the electromagnetic spectrum. And if you see it illustrated, it's a sliver like this, which is the only part of it we can see. Visible light is like very, very small amount of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. But all of this is part of light. The entire spectrum is part of light. It's what God created on the first day. He created the X-rays and the gamma rays. He created the high-intensity frequencies of light we can't see. He did it all day one. Light, the speed of light, is one of the fundamental constants in nature. In a vacuum, light always travels at 186,000 miles a second. It's a constant. Light has a particle-wave duality. It's a theory called particle-wave duality. Basically, light has properties of particles. Particles are like physical things. Photons, they're called light particles. But it also has properties of wavelengths. You know, in the electromagnetic spectrum, all of those things have certain wavelengths to them. The shorter ones, the longer ones have different properties. Light has properties of waves, of a wavelength, but it also has properties of particles. So that it basically has two natures combined at the same time in light. It's, it's a fascinating principle, and it's probably a little more science than we need to get into this morning, but it is it is amazing to recognize that light has a dual nature. And you think about the dual nature of Jesus, that he is 100% God and 100% man, and is also described as the light of the world. When you think about us, that we have a dual nature, we're both physical and spiritual beings. At the same time, the parallels begin to become rather remarkable. Light can carry messages on it. It can carry a message, TV, radio, those are all, that's data, that's messages that are being carried across the light. Light can vary in intensity from, from lasers, and, and look, we're even talking about just the visi visible light spectrum. You can get a laser so intense it'll burn through steel, and yet you can reduce the intensity of light so that it's a soft light from which you read your book even softer, tiny little pen light, you know, find your keys in the dark when you, you know, stubbing your toes and you got to find the keys. Light has that type of, 
um, variety in its intensity. Also, sunlight is necessary for photosynthesis to occur in plants. Do you know that photosynthesis is a process by which the plant converts the energy from the sun into energy in its cells? Physical energy makes it grow. The sun makes it grow because of the process of photosynthesis. Now, when an animal comes along and eats that plant, eats the grass or, or whatever plant you might have an animal eating, that animal gains the energy from the plant and digests it and it becomes energy in his own cells. Now, when I go along and I kill that animal because I'm ready for a steak dinner, the energy that he has been absorbing is also passed to me from eating his cells. I'm gaining energy from his cells. So, it's, it's rather remarkable that photosynthesis is a process by which we gain energy for our own bodies. And if we eat the plant, if we eat the, the fruit the plant has created and produced, we get that energy as well. All of that comes from the light in the air. That's why a plant has photosynthesis occurring, is because of light. Light, friends, sustains life. Physically, I mean, just forget the spiritual side of this truth. We're going to talk about the spiritual side in a moment, but physically speaking, light sustains physical life in the world. I want you to also notice this. It's very significant. Light is created on day one. Who knows right now off the top of your head what day the sun and the stars and the moon were created? Do you know? Zeke, do you know? First day. No, that's not right. First day, light was created, but it was a few days later. Day four is right. Day four. It was three days later that God created the sun. So what does that tell you about the true source of light? What does that tell you? It's not from the sun that hangs in the sky. The true source of light is Jesus Christ himself. And that's a deep, significant principle that we will get to in a moment, a little more deeply. But he is the source of light. Otherwise, when God completely remakes the world or when he takes us to heaven, where do we get light in heaven? Is there a sun up there? I don't think so. There's the sun, the son of God. And his, his, he is the source, the true source of light. Well, what is the spiritual truth? That is, that's some of the physical truths, the physical realities of what God did on day one in creating light. What are the spiritual truths, the spiritual realities, which are just as real as physical realities? What are they? The first one I want us to notice is that God's word creates. God's word creates. It says that God said it, he's speaking it into existence. He is creating light. The entire electromagnetic spectrum by simply saying, let there be light. And it happens. It happens. God said it. And it happened. You know what it said? It's, it's interesting how it puts it. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it happened. It's kind of like saying, you know, God said this, and then it occurred. 
<laughs> it's it's significant what he said happened. It wasn't just that he said it, it's that it actually did something. It is actually effective for creating things. Look at John chapter 1. We're going to gain some context and some significance to this part of the Bible by looking at other parts of the Bible. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John uh, was a very deep thinker. He hit some very deep and profound things in his writings. Of course, they were inspired of God, but it came through his own personality and life. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is, Jesus is, the Word of God. He is the Word. When God is speaking, it's Jesus doing it. And He made everything. Friends, the Word of God is powerful. It's powerful on an incredible scale that even Christians do not quite grasp. There's another very significant thing here that I want us to notice. And friends, I, I thought about this principle and I tried to think about what its significance really is. And I didn't, I didn't get there. I'm going to have to just share it with you and let the Lord speak to you because I, I'm not sure I have the words. When he says, and God said, let there be light. Let there be light in English is how many words? One, two, three, four. In, in Hebrew, it's only two. Two words. The verb, let there be, and the word light. Now, light means luminescence. It means shining. If you look at other parts of the Bible, when it says, like in Numbers chapter 6, the high priestly blessing, the Lord caused his face to shine upon you. Same Hebrew word, light. Now, let there be. Let there be. Is the word Yahweh. It's the word that, it's just one word, Yahweh. It's the name of God. God told Moses, when Moses told God, he said, Hey, who am I going to tell the children of Israel has sent me? Who am I going to say? You know what God said? God said, tell them Yahweh has sent you. He says, tell them I am that I am. Yahweh means self-existent one. It means he who exists. He who is. You want to say the down south way is he who bees. <laughs> he who be. He who be what? He who be. I am that I am. I exist. I just am. When, when Jesus, when Jesus, no, I'll, I'll get to Jesus in a second. He's saying Yahweh and then this other Hebrew word light. Yahweh light. Let there be light. He's speaking his name. And when he speaks his name, then light exists. 
His name created it. Let there be his word. The first word he said was Yahweh. <laughs> I never knew that before. He said Yahweh first. The first thing he did in creating the world is he said his own name. And he caused light to exist. He infused his own self-existence into creating something else to exist. It's remarkable. John 8, verse 58. Well, if you want to look it up later, in Exodus 3, verse 13 and 14, God said to Moses, I am that I am, which was one Hebrew word, Yahweh. I am. And then in John 8, Jesus did something remarkable. And if you understand the significance of it, it's amazing. In John 8, 58, the Pharisees were challenging Jesus. And John 8 is this long sort of debate between Jews and Pharisees and Jesus coming back at them and some wonderfully awesome things said in John 8. But in the end of it, basically the end of the conversation was this. They said, we are children of Abraham, you know, and Jesus said, well, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And then they said, you're not even, you're barely 30 years old. You know, how, how, did, how did Abraham see your day? And then Jesus said this. Jesus said it to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. <laughs> Wait a second. The, listen, the Pharisees, they wouldn't even say Jesus' name. Or, I'm sorry, they wouldn't even say the word Yahweh out loud. They said Adonai. When they wrote down in, in, in their books, when they would write down the, the name of God, Yahweh, they would put um, different vowel points on it. If you understand Hebrew, they, they, they don't have vowels, they have vowel points. So to say the A-E-I-O-U sounds, they have dots they would put on there. And so they put the consonants that said Yahweh, but they would put the vowel points on there that made it look like, uh, the vowel points of Adonai, which made it look like if you said it, if you spoke it, it would be Jehovah. Or Yehovah. Anyway, long linguistic explanation to point out that the Pharisees, they didn't even say God's name out loud. Even devout Jews today, even Messianic Jews will put G-D because they, they, they just think that that's more respectful to God's name. I don't really agree with them on that, but that's the way they think. Now, what did Jesus say? Jesus not only spoke Yahweh, the, the word. He said, I'm him. He said, I'm Yahweh. By this, he said, I'm Yahweh. Whew. Now, this is true. But man, I'm telling you, that ended the conversation and they were grabbing the rocks. Yes. And they're saying, you're going to die now, brother, because you just called yourself God. And in our, in our American culture, we don't recognize that. But in their Hebrew culture, he, got as, he couldn't have gotten any closer to saying, I'm God. That's what he said. Before Abraham was, I exist. He didn't say, I was. He said, I am. Yahweh. Now, that's the very first word God ever said that we have ever recorded. And Jesus said, I am he. Now then, also, I won't take the time to show you this in the Bible, but it's there. Jesus is described as the light of the world. He is 
the light. In fact, it's later there in John chapter 1. He's the light that comes into the world that lights every man. So friends, in the first two words of the Bible, we find Jesus. He says, Yahweh light. We find that Jesus is Yahweh himself. We find Jesus is the word of God. When God speaks, it's Jesus. He is the word. And he is also the light. He is the light. The very first phrase, let there be light, is basically Jesus Christ himself. The whole Bible is centered upon Christ. He is the hinge upon which history turns. He is the center and the focus of everything. He is the sustainer of everything. And it starts out with him himself. When it says all things were made by him, that's what it means. Right there, Yahweh light. Let there be light. That's Jesus. Right there at the beginning. And remember we said last week, God's Spirit moves upon the chaos, but what does God's Spirit bring to the chaos? He brings Jesus Christ Himself to bring redemption, to bring the light. No more is there chaos and darkness, but there is the light. Hallelujah, friends. I don't know if you got a hanky, but you need to wave it. Woo! This is a blessing. This is joy. This is rapture. That Christ is the one upon whom the light retreats from. Uh, the darkness re- retreats from the light. He is the light. There he is revealed right in the very first two words of, of the Bible. Not the Bible, but the first two words Jesus says that God says is Jesus himself. The word creates. You know that the word of God creates good things even today? Even today, the Word creates. Christians, God's Word creates Christians. The Bible says, by faith, uh, it says, um, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is faith that saves us, but it's the Word that creates faith. God's Word creates Christians. Peace. How about peace? God's word brings peace. How about peace among fighting factions? How about fights between believers or non-believers? God's word creates peace because God's word infuses peace into the situation. Joy? Have you ever been suffering deep, great sorrow and found God's word to bring such peace and joy to your soul? God's word creates joy in our souls. Strength. Strength. God's word creates strength to endure the suffering and the trials of life. It creates strength to achieve the victory. That's another one. God's word creates victory for us. The word brings us victory. The Bible. God's word brings about all these things today, now. It's not just that it happened how many thousands of years ago at the very beginning, but God's Word creates things still today. Another thing that happens in this passage of Scripture is that there is a division. I want us to notice, again, we're talking about the spiritual truths. First one is that God's Word creates. The second truth 
is the division that comes. Light and darkness are divided and named. Look there at verses 4 and 5. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So naming shows authority. When you name something, you have authority over it. And the fact that God named night and day means that he has authority over day and night, over darkness and light. But the two do not mix. Light and darkness are separated from each other from the very beginning. Remember I said that l darkness is actually just the absence of light? It's not a mat it's not a it's not a, a a thing, darkness itself. You can't hold a bottle of darkness. You can't contain darkness in a container or a, a place. It's just simply the absence of light. There, it's nothingness. That's what darkness is. And so God divided darkness from light so that the two would not mix together. When you see something you gray at dusk of the morning, it's not as light as... It's just because the level of light is not quite as great. But those but they are not mixing together. Observe that darkness is not called good. It says, God saw that the light was good. It doesn't say that about darkness, which indicates to us that light is greater than darkness. It teaches us that darkness is, is not good, is evil. And light is good, is better than darkness. How about we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 5. Verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We are not of the night nor are we of darkness. We are of light, friends. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 5. You've got a pattern here. We've got 1 Thessalonians 5. We've got Ephesians 5. Verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We are to be separate from darkness. This is a picture of consecration. In fact, in Genesis 1 there, when it says God divided the light from the darkness, that Hebrew word divided is also used for consecration. Uh, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 8, and in 1 Kings 8, 53. It talks about how God set apart, He divided, He sanctified, consecrated His people. That same word. This, this part of the scripture is giving us a picture of sanctification, of consecration, setting something apart, dividing, dividing light from darkness. We are children of light and should have no fellowship with darkness. As light is meant and designed to never mix with darkness, 
neither are we the children of light intended to compromise with evil or be joined with that which is darkness. We have to be separate, friends. We have to be set apart. Here we have in the very first day a picture of holiness. Holiness is important to God. It's not something that he just tacks on on the end, you know, if you have time to possibly pursue holiness. No. Holiness is there from the beginning. Separating light from darkness. Separating righteousness from unrighteousness. Separating good, that which is good, from that which is evil. He called the light good, but the evil was, the darkness was not good. This does not mean that we do not have an impact on the darkness. Jesus told us to be in the world. We have to have relationships with sinners in order to reach them. Jesus had relationships with prostitutes, with tax collectors. <laughs> you know, those horrible, horrible guys, tax collectors. Jesus reached out to those people. He had an impact on them. But it does not mean that we need to curse to reach the cursers. Or that we need to kill to reach the killers. Or that we need to drink to reach the drinkers. Friends, there's a lot of people that think, well, in order to be re relevant, in order to reach people, well, you've got to be like them. You've got to look like them in order for them to accept what you have to say. And, and that's not true. You have to do what they do in order to be part of their group, and then they'll listen to you. That's like, I'm going to sneak the gospel in on you right when you think I'm a worldly person. <laughs> I'm going to be as worldly as I can be, and then, and then just, oh, hey, by the way, Jesus loves you. I'm a Christian, too. Whoa, you mean I don't have to change my life to be a Christian? Hallelujah. I'm, yeah, hey, brother, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life, apparently. That's the way things go a lot of times. But look, we don't have to be sinners to reach the sinners, do we? No. We need to be holy and separate, but still part. Listen, Jesus said it a whole lot better than I did. He said it in John chapter 17. I'll read this to you quickly. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said it really well. Be in the world, but not of it. He prayed to his father, Father, let them be in the world but let them not be tainted by the evil of the world. Friends, I don't know where your life sits. I don't know what's happening in your life today, but if you've been tainted by the world, if you have allowed light and darkness to mix, that is not at all God's intention. From the very beginning, God intended that we should walk in the light and have no fellowship with the works of darkness. It's not that we don't love the people in the darkness but we have no fellowship with them. Well, finally, we learned that God's word is the thing that's creating things and that from the very beginning, 
It's Jesus Christ we find in his word. We find the division that God intended from the beginning, that there to be separation between light and darkness. And we find also in this passage a picture of the fact that God still does this every day. God still creates light all the time. I, I reference the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And it talks about that Jesus Christ is the light and that he lights every man that comes into the world. I believe that's speaking of the conscience that every man has. Every man has a sense of what is right and what is wrong and has no excuse before God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This would be the last scripture that we flip to this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> For those of you in Rio Linda, 2 Corinthians comes right after 1 Corinthians. In case you couldn't find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's, he's saying that what happened at the beginning is a picture of what happens now all the time when the light of Jesus Christ is shined upon our hearts. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. That's right. In His face. We look upon His face and we find the knowledge of the glory of God. We find the light of God Himself shining upon our soul when we look into the face of Jesus Christ. At the very beginning, when God spoke light, He said, let there be light. He does the same thing upon our hearts day by day. He does the same thing in people's lives all the time. Friends and colleagues that have darkness surrounding their soul, people that have hopelessness enveloping them, have no, no idea of what hope really is, they are bound in the darkness of chaos before Jesus. But then the light comes. The light is imparted to them. And God says, let there be light upon this soul. Let there be light upon this situation. Let God be seen here. Let the darkness flee and let Jesus be seen. That happens still today. This, this day one, light comes, is a picture of what happens all the time, still today. God speaks, His Word comes. Remember who the Word is. Remember that this is a living book, alive, and it is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. It's just this marvelous mystery. The Word of God comes and does what? It brings light to the darkness. It reveals the truth. 
It chases away the chains of darkness. It brings freedom and joy. It initiates strength and peace. That's what happens all the time, even still today, friends. We should not be discouraged or downhearted or defeated. What did we sing about right early this morning? One of the first songs we sang. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessedness with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. I lean upon him. I look at his face. And what do I find? The absence of fear. Why are we afraid, friends, of the darkness? We should not be defeated or downhearted or discouraged. Look, I know we get discouraged. I know we're human beings. That's normal. But we need to remember this. The light giver is still on the throne. He's still there giving light. You're struggling with something really dark. The darkness threatens to just envelop your soul and crush you. But look to the face of Jesus because there's the light, friends. That's where the light is found. We don't need to be afraid of the darkness crushing our soul because the light giver lives in me. He lives in you too. The light giver. He speaks and the light comes and the darkness is chased away. That doesn't mean we get to leave the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean the dark night of the soul is suddenly over. It just means we got a whole lot of hope. It just means we got a whole lot to hang on to. It means that the creator who created and invented light itself, he is light and he lives in us and he hasn't stopped creating light. He hasn't start, stopped speaking light into our hearts and our minds and our lives and the dark situations in which we find ourselves. Friends, this is a message today of great hope that there is hope to be found in him. There's so much significance in this first day of creating light. It reveals to us the way God works upon so many other things. He still creates today and reveals to us what he uses to bring about his glory, what he uses to, bring, to chase away the darkness. It is Jesus Christ himself, Yahweh Light, let there be light. In those two words, the very first two, we find Jesus Christ revealed and we find the victory over the darkness that we all seek every day. Let there be light. If you are discouraged this morning, if you're defeated, if you, if you don't see the light, go to he who says there is light and entreat him, say, Father, let there be light upon my soul. Speak the light to me. Show me the truth. Friends, go to the Bible and find the light you need to have. There is light found. And let's be sure not to mix light and darkness together. Let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you for choosing to create light 
for, for speaking into existence. I thank you for the light that you gave to me in Jesus Christ when I came to the cross, repented of my sins, and put my faith in Christ. I thank you for the redemption of Ezekiel and how you brought light to him and for the way that you have brought light upon so many that are here today in our souls and in so many different ways. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would remind us that you are the light giver, you're the light maker, and that the light chases away the darkness. The light is very good. And Lord, we choose to remember that, and we pray that you would keep that, that truth prevalent in our hearts and minds as we go throughout this week. And Lord, in the dark places where we live and work, sometimes they're very dark. I pray that we would be the light that you have sent to those places and that you would help us to bring the light of Jesus to those places, those dark lands. We know that you are our sustainer and we cast ourselves upon you this morning. Lord, if I, I pray that if there be anyone here who has been mixing light and darkness together and not being consecrated and separated unto righteousness, that you'd convict them of their sin, they'd put it away, and that they'd choose to walk as children of light and have no fellowship with the works of darkness. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.